Hello, humans. My name is Jesse, aka The Bizzle, and welcome to the first edition of Bizzlecast. Bizzlecast is a continuation of a short podcast run I started uh, about a week or two ago called Poodoo Cast. That talks a lot about Star Wars as the basis of looking critically at pop culture and sort of the philosophical, political ramifications of movies like that. I love movies. I especially love amazing cinematic experiences. And 2014 was a great year for that. From Birdman and Grand Budapest Hotel to Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America the Winter Soldier, from low-budget indie to big-budget Hollywood, there was just some great stuff put out last year. But this year, from a financial standpoint at least, looks to top last year. And that is because Disney is releasing both the second Avengers movie and, at the end of the year, Star Wars Episode Seven. Bizzlecast is going to go way beyond just talking about pop culture as it pertains to mega cinematic properties and what that means about our culture. Um, in earlier podcasts, I've talked about philosophy and religion and political themes in some of these movies. But to bridge the two podcast series, because Bizzlecast is going to be quite a bit broader, I wanted to begin the first Bizzlecast talking about materialism and consumerism, specifically how movies especially mega movie properties, have paved the way from hyper-consumerism to what I and other people call post-consumerism, and why that's so significant, especially on the youth of today. I remember as a young kid, it was probably the mid-80s, I want to say, I don't know, 86, 87, HBO released a one-off TV special made specifically for kids of my age, so kids who were in elementary school, basically, talking about how toy companies were kind of corrupting our brains. Now, they, they couched it in a lot of other language, and obviously they had to present concepts that were feasible and understandable, to young children, but I remember in the documentary, at one point they were talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figures, and that was right in the heart of Ninja Turtles being the show, along with um, Transformers and G.I. Joe, who also had tons of toys being churned out. But I remember seeing those turtle figures on screen, and I had all of them. I didn't just have the four turtles, it's Splinter and Shredder. I had all the side characters, I had April. And as a kid, you never really think past just enjoying those toys. But the documentary really made an impression on me. Like most people, I don't think I really became fully aware of kind of the excesses of consumerism until at least high school, certainly college. But the documentary on HBO left an indelible impression on me. That was the first time I was forced to think critically about the sort of darker side, or at least hidden side, of toys and the materialism that they represented. 
And for better or worse, I think Lucas was really the first one to put it all together in such a way that he was planning the toys and games and comic books well before the prequels came out, probably well before the prequels were even fully in development, or at least being filmed, and sort of compounding my disappointment with episode one was the fact that I was now in high school and then college and could fully see and be aware of how almost devious the plan was. It was almost like the movies, even though they knew it was going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, were basically set pieces for the sale and distribution of physical Star Wars properties. In other words, if the toys for the original trilogy supplemented the movies, with the prequels, it was almost as if the movies were supplementing the toys, games, and comic books. To me, that very fact, which I was very well aware of, as many of us were and continue to be, turned me off of the prequels almost as much as the prequels turned me off of the prequels because it was so clearly a money grab. And we saw the same thing with Peter Jackson. Yes, they went into Lord of the Rings knowing that they were going to sell a ton of toys and games and comic books. But because pre-Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson was pretty similar to pre-Star Wars Lucas in the sense of he wasn't really a known commodity. He knew that the Lord of the Rings would basically make or break his career. And the fact that the movies were so damn good, we were able to overlook it, even while we criticized Lucas for essentially doing the same thing. Although Lucas had come up with the idea, but still. But then with The Hobbit, I remember when it was announced that they were going to make two and then three Hobbit movies, that you just knew that as much of a money grab as it was to turn one book into three movies, it was even more of a money grab in terms of games and toys and other physical properties. So if we grew up in the 80s and 90s in the age of hyper-consumerism coming into its own, kids now are living in an age of what some people would call post-consumerism, where the notion of buying things is so central to daily life that we don't even think about the consumerist aspect anymore. I don't think HBO makes that documentary now. Maybe there's been one on another kid's channel, but I cannot comprehend that Disney would ever put out a documentary telling kids not to buy so many toys, or at least their parents. And it's even easier now because the properties more and more are being manifested in games, whether it's consoles or iPhone, iPad, or computer games. But it's so easy for a parent to now pay $9.99 for a Star Wars iPad game for their kids. $10 is still a lot of money. It's just too easy to buy it. And, of course, with the in-app purchases... It takes it to a new level because you can literally spend tens and tens of dollars buying equipment or 
gold. And I'm not just talking about only Star Wars stuff, um, because there's tons of other games as well that do the same thing. But at least with action figures, there was something tactile and truly physical about them. You could touch them. You had to go to the store. You had to open it up. If it was Legos, there might have been instructions. It was a whole process, and it was a really big deal to get that action figure. Now, anyone can buy an app in two seconds, and for people sort of, you know, mi solid middle class uh, and up, $10 is something that they will gladly pay to keep the kids from bothering them or on a long flight or something like that. And so I watch my little cousins, and they have the Star Wars Lego video games. They have the Captain America and Spider-Man t-shirts, but they don't even know that much about the characters. And I think part of that is that we've entered into the post-PG era of movie ratings, where everything's PG-13, because if it's PG... The way the ratings work now, you just can't have enough violence for what the directors want. And because movies that used to be considered like kids' movies, like Star Wars or The Hobbit, are now rated PG-13, what happens is little kids aren't old enough to see those movies until they're old enough to not care as much. You don't get to see Star Wars when you're five. You have to wait until you're nine or ten. And so those kids have to fall in love with the properties later on once they're released on DVD or on TV. But they can play the video games, especially the Lego games and the ones that are reduced violence and less graphic nature. And the net result of this is that kids don't fall in love with these characters as young as we were when we fell in love with those characters. Seeing Luke Skywalker as a five-year-old is much different than seeing Luke Skywalker as a 12-year-old in terms of how it affects your development, the kinds of ideas it puts in your head, and the way it fires your imagination that can only happen when you're that young. So the kids are getting attached to the properties, but they're not necessarily getting attached to the characters and the heart of the films, which is what, theoretically at least, informs the properties or should inform the properties. And so I think this really raises a huge question about materialism when it comes to Star Wars and other mega properties, especially when, and this thought was sort of the one that was the impetus for this podcast, when these movies, whether it be Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or Avatar, have very strong, I don't want to say anti-capitalist themes, but certainly pro-environmental themes, pro-self-awareness and philosophical themes, I always hesitate to use the word hypocritical because we're all hypocritical. You know, we take out the recycling and we think that we're saving the environment. Even while burning gas, leaving the lights on, taking showers for far too long. And so there's this sort of communal exorcism of the demons of 
sort of hyper-capitalist, hyper-consumerist life by watching these movies. I mean, Avatar is a blatant anti-corporate tale, at least on the surface. You are never with the corporation in Avatar. You're always with the people of Avatar who are pretty standard fare in terms of the whole natives who want to live peacefully and live off the land and really a kind of a two-dimensional view of pre-modern cultures. Lord of the Rings as well is extremely environmentalist. Tolkien wrote extensively in his diaries about environmental themes. He didn't even like biking because he felt like the only way to enjoy nature was by walking slowly and meaningfully. In the Lord of the Rings movies, with the Ents and the destruction of the trees and the orcs as the manifestation of not just pure evil, but the excesses of industrialism and military ambition. Whereas the true heroes of Lord of the Rings are the hobbits, who live in perfect harmony and equilibrium with their land. With Star Wars, it's a little more spiritual with the Eastern philosophical themes. And so what happens is when the studios put out these movies, it almost neutralizes our ability to be critical of the materialistic excesses of the movies because the apparent vision of the movies are very progressive from a spiritual sense all the way to an environmental sense. And so as I, like many of you, continue to follow all the news related to episode seven, it's not that I'm sickened by how much of the news has to do with toys and video games. I'm just numb to it at this point. And that's even worse because at least when you're angry, you can sort of, you know, channel that anger and be really critical, decide if the positive effects of kind of the progressive message in these movies outweighs the negativity of kids in the middle of hyper-materialistic, post-consumerist paralysis almost. It's sort of like the internet. Those of us who grew up before the internet and then have seen it grow and change and expand, we have a sense of reference there about what life was and could be like without an all-encompassing digital universe surrounding us like the Force. And if you look at darker, more critical science fiction films and properties over the last couple decades, a lot of them come from Japan via anime and manga. And the most popular anime and manga by far in Japanese history, and probably the most popular one by far in the United States, was and continues to be Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell paints a somewhat bleak future where everyone desires to have cyber brains, basically. Brains that are cybernetically enhanced so that they're directly connected to the internet at all times, but can also be hacked by both actual human hackers and sentient AIs that are sort of floating around. And I think part of the appeal, when you contrast that to Star Wars, is that Star Wars, because 
they have spaceships and lasers, but not particularly advanced computers. I mean, they're relying on a, on a stiff golden robot stumbling around to translate, and you can't even translate half the time. It's reminiscent of Dune, where the whole premise of Dune is that before computers became fully sentient, or as they were becoming sentient, there was something called the Butlerian Jihad, where they smashed all the computers to bits, and there basically came out of that a political and even religious edict that sentient computers, or even advanced computers, were illegal. And what the Dune Star Wars technology scenario allows for is ignoring the internet. Because in, in their technological visions, the mechanics and infrastructure just isn't there for the internet. If you imagine the original trilogy coming out today, and it's exactly the same, and you know the special effects and stuff would be a lot better, but still preserving the story and the characters and the themes, I think people would think the Force is super cheesy. Because we're just living in such a cynical age. And I was sort of shocked at how many people liked Avatar. Or I should say, I was shocked at how many people weren't turned off by the blatant emotional manipulation of James Cameron shoving these environmental themes down our throat, which, as an environmentalist myself, I found actually offensive because, like I said before, it was done in a way that seemed very profound on the surface, but beneath it was just a way to kind of tug at our heartstrings. You know, you can look at the original Star Wars trilogy, and if you really want to look that deep, and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't, you can see that, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, when those movies came out, America was kind of acting like the Empire. It was imperialistic, it was involved in Afghanistan, and Iran, in the Middle East, in Central America, and the rebels who we're rooting for display some characteristics that, again, if it were released for the first time today, would make some people uncomfortable. I won't go so far to call them terrorists, but just the notion that they're freedom fighters, and some people have a problem with the term freedom fighters because they think it hides or disguises labeling them terrorists. But again, I think the political themes are just so overridden now by the sort of secondary stuff, whether it be a pod race, which is just really exciting, or a cool new video game. And I feel bad for kids today who can't separate that. Because again, by the time I was playing Star Wars games in the early 90s, I was old enough to have had experienced Star Wars in a more, I guess, pure fashion before the materialist wave or invasion came. I'm pretty much numb to it at this point. I just wish more people would talk about it. And I think it's just such a cop-out with some of these properties that, well, if we put some progressive themes in the movies, then from Disney's perspective, they've kind of covered their asses a little bit by people who are thinking critically about what's going on in these movies. What I loved about Star Trek growing up, and I watched The Next Generation because it came out at like the exact age where a kid like me would embrace and really fall in love with 
the notion of Star Trek and all of the cool scenarios that could come out of there. There was a lot of techno babble in the original Star Trek, but the idea was that in the future, the smartest people in the most powerful ships were primarily concerned with science. And the Star Trek reboot movies, including the second one, Into Darkness, pulled from the technological aspects in a superficial way as to give Star Trek fans that feeling of the importance of technology, but without delving into the darker side of technology, or at least the way in which it has infiltrated our lives more and more. And I think Gene Roddenberry was onto that so early on. Um, I wish I had mentioned Gene in earlier podcasts. I mean, my God, talk about a visionary. The Winter Soldier was extremely political. I mean, essentially, Cap was Edward Snowden, and yet because of how it was framed, we love Cap, and we're very mixed on how we feel about Edward Snowden, but by dumping all of the intelligence services information onto the internet, they basically were doing the same thing. And in doing so, Cap dismantled the entire intelligence apparatus. And the political themes of Marvel started as early as Iron Man, where um, Tony Stark realizes that just kind of selling weaponry willy-nilly just to make a buck was not exactly the right thing to do. And while you know, I don't think we'd ever call Tony Stark a really moral guy, but he does have ethics, and the ethics have grown and matured with each Iron Man, which will make his going up against Cap in Civil War even more interesting, not to mention Ultron being the manifestation of thinking that we can protect ourselves from ourselves by using advanced sentient technology. I think Marvel does have those themes. If nothing else, I think this is a good time to get that conversation going. We need to wake ourselves up from just blindly walking through our post-consumerist society, our hyper-materialism. And I think most of the people that are listening to this and most of the friends of the people listening to it, like my own friends, get this already. And so the question is, is there any way to bring these questioning ideas to a wider audience. I hate to use the term the masses because we are all part of the masses. And there have been some great sort of smaller science fiction movies in the last couple of years that do take a darker approach to the future without being one of these ridiculous zombie scenarios like World War Z or whatever. I think Lucy is one. Um, Lucy was not a great movie, although Scarlet was phenomenal as always, but it did attempt to tackle a lot, a lot philosophical ideas concerning technology and, for lack of a better term, the singularity. Also Her, which Scarlet was in, and great again, as the voice of the advanced AI that became the sort of digital girlfriend of Joaquin Phoenix has a little bit more of a rosy view of where things can go from here in that AI's reaching sentience and and the singularity won't necessarily turn into giant killer robots like in the Matrix or Terminator and kill us all. Her also makes it clear that being human is a very complicated experience. And technology does not have to mean 
that were not human. In fact, Scarlet's quote-unquote character, Samantha, in her, actually through her very loving relationship, um, tender relationship with Joaquin Phoenix's character, Joaquin Phoenix comes out of that more human than he had ever been, even though in the end, spoiler alert, Scarlet, aka Samantha, leaves him because she becomes so advanced that she needs to ascend to sort of a higher plane and deal with other AIs and create new AIs. Just as a quick aside, it's interesting that Scarlet is involved in so many of these properties that I'm talking about, including The Winter Soldier, which I talked about earlier and have talked about a lot in my podcast because it's such a dark vision for a comic book property, and Scarlet is featured prominently in that as well, obviously, as Black Widow, an assassin with a very dark past and a pretty cynical view about humanity and the world. Because of her acting ability and because there's an almost otherworldly beauty to her and this dark undercurrent to a lot of her performances that she's become kind of the go-to character for a lot of these kind of darker science fiction properties. And we're getting much smaller movies like Snowpiercer and Edge of Tomorrow, which wasn't supposed to be a small movie, but not that many people saw, that deal with the darker aspects of technology and militarism and so forth. So I hope that we can have a bigger discussion about where this is going. I'm already a little jaded even before seeing episode 7 because of people's obsession with toys and games. I mean, I like comic books occasionally, and, you know, I don't really play a whole lot of video games other than, like, Call of Duty and Mass Effect. Um, Side note, Mass Effect actually, I think, is probably the deepest science fiction series in terms of video games, um, and takes a lot of the complicated issues of Star Wars and delves much, much further into them and creates a universe that's just as diverse and colorful as Star Wars or to the extent that a video game can but complicates the future and humanity's place in the future in ways that Star Wars has never particularly been interested in doing. Star Wars is an entertainment franchise at this point. If they go into the Force (laughs) without talking about the midichlorians, hopefully. If J.J. decides to delve deeper into the philosophy and religion and spirituality of the Force. I'd be very excited about that. I'd be able to separate it, I think, and not just be thinking hypocrisy the whole time because Star Wars is the one property of all the ones I've mentioned that sort of came out well before we were so cynical, or in some people's cases, so blind to the negative effects that hypermaterialism is having on us. 